Welcome to Talkie Talk, a podcast for TheMediaBios.com. Joining me today is Chris. Hello! And I got a TJ. Yeah! And I got myself a brand. Yowza! My name is David. <laughs> and uh, today we're talking about uh, what we've been watching the past week, along with a little tidbit about week's film news, games news, TV news. But first, what y'all been watching, y'all? I'll go first. I watched a movie called Landline that David recommended. From previous weeks, got Jenny Slate and uh, who plays the mom? Edie Falco. Edie Falco. Enjoy. Edie Falco is the top performer in that movie. Man, she's so good. She's really good. When did that come out? Did that come out this year? Yeah, came out like a few months ago. Yeah, I'm surprised that I'm not seeing Edie Falco on like best of lists for this year because I thought she was really good in that movie. She was in something else that I watched recently, and she was like, she was great. Yeah, Edie Falco. Yeah, I like how she not to spoil it, but how she handles the center secret of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like really matter of fact and uh, really in character. Yeah. I really liked it. It reminded me very much of uh, oh Megan Levy. She's in Megan Levy. Sorry, nice. It reminded me a lot of her character uh, from The Sopranos. Forget her name, Carmela. Carmela, yeah, yeah. With when, when it comes to handling that, because mm-hmm. Carmela also dealt with that, mm-hmm. and so it was uh, it was it was really good. I, w- I would recommend the movie. I. I liked the movie. I didn't love, love the movie, but I liked it. And uh, Yeah, same for me. For yeah. me, a little bit of Jenny Slate can go a long way uh, when it, when she's in that that super Jenny Slate mode, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just, it, I don't know. It It's not that I dislike it, it's just that it gets kind of exhausting at, at times. Her, I can see that. Her humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The um, younger sister is also, I didn't talk about it last time, but she's really good. She is really good in that movie. I really enjoyed her performance. She looks so much like a mini Jenny Slate, too. Mm-hmm. It's great visual casting, and she's also a great actress in the movie. And uh, John Turturro plays the dad, and he's also always really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like him a lot. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I recommend it. Check it out. Um, Sweet. And that's it. Uh, I, watched, uh, <laughs> I watched Star Wars The Last Jedi, but whenever... I don't know how we want to do that. Oh yeah, that movie came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's a big week for indie movies with me. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Landline and then The Last Jedi. <laughs> nice double feature. Are we going to save that still for the future? Is that the plan? <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we we might dive deeper on another podcast with it, but um, I will say that I really enjoyed it and I would recommend it to everyone. Um, I would actually the 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 vibe I'm getting from a lot of reactions from this movie is that. People who aren't Star Wars super geeks maybe are liking it more than the Star Wars super fans. I had I had seen it described as the least Star Wars movie of all of the Star Wars movies. Hmm. Um, probably more like Rogue One in its like it's got a story to tell and it kind of is ambivalent to what it's supposed to do. Um, and that makes sense because I was reading a bunch. I saw it last night uh, late and got home and read some uh, some some. All the notes and production stuff that I didn't want to read beforehand. Right. And uh, Ryan Johnson had this script written before The Force Awakens uh, was written. Hmm. So he had like the general like notes and direction that the characters were going to go from J.J. Abrams. And then uh, just kind of wrote his own story. Yeah. So, <clears throat> that it, I mean, it, it, watching the movie, that makes sense. That it kind of just takes some... Take some interesting directions. I've seen it described as the first auteur's Star Wars movie. Like, the first movie that's just clearly a director putting his, like, stamp on a Star Wars movie. But, yeah, it is is a, like, 
like Ryan Johnson, like his his resume, it is a very visually striking movie. Yeah. More so than than most <clears throat> Star Wars. Um, like there's and this is it's in the trailers, but like the scene on the the planet with the like the red dust against like the white ground. Yeah, the salt flats. Yeah, yeah. It's just like really cool, really and what pretty. they do with that is interesting. It looks like a bloodstained battlefield uh-huh. just by stepping on it. Yeah, it's really cool. But yeah, it was. Uh, I I love the experience. Um, it did not let me down. Um, I'm still kind of unpacking it though to see kind of how I feel about it in the long run. But it's. It, I could. I walked out of the theater knowing it was safely in my, the upper echelon of Star Wars movies. I just don't know where I place it. So agreed. I definitely recommend it if anybody needs a recommendation to go see fucking Star Wars. Right. Right. That's uh, a weird thing. Even right. as I said, I recommend it. Like yeah. who's on yeah. the fence? It's like right. it's a Cadbury cream eggs. Like they're only on sale around Easter. They don't actually need to advertise. <laughs> like if a Star Wars movie is coming out, like they don't need to advertise. It's going to make no. you know thirty billion dollars opening weekend and yeah. No one's going to bat an eye. I think they should try it once without any advertising. To just suddenly release a Star Wars movie and see how the public reacts well, to that. Well, Han Solo's like looking like that album. right now. Yeah, we haven't seen shit. haven't seen a word about Han Solo, and it's still supposedly May, May of yeah. next year, so... Like, I don't, I don't... Whose cast is Han Solo? I know that it's out there, but I forgot. It's, uh... I was, would, that it, would that it were... That kid from uh, it would be so simple. Oh yeah, from Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar. It's the Alden the, it's the funny okay. kind of country kid from Hail Caesar. Oh, that's right. I was I was joking with uh, Kelly that it was Ansel Elgort. <laughs> I think he was in, he was in like the running. Yeah, he made the short list. Well, then in Baby Driver, he wears that vest, and <laughs> it's right. like oh, he's just like a audition for it. Is Baby Driver? Yeah, I guess the big cast for that is Young Glover, is Lando. Oh, right. Yeah. That's the one everybody's going to be. Because he's already high and still on the up and up. That season of Atlanta's coming out. February. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He's nominated for a bunch of Grammys. Yeah. Album of the Year and stuff. Yeah. Childish Gambino. And he won Best Actor at the Emmys this year, right? Yep. He is Best somebody who could, who could get, hit the EGOT very young. Yeah. I could see that if he wanted to do stage work. Oh, yeah. I mean, he his whole uh, Because the Internet album is a theme album around, mm-hmm. like, the uh, the life of the kid, and if he wanted to do because of the internet as like a stage play, I don't think that I think he would get funding immediately. Mm-hmm. I think like yeah. Lin Manuel Miranda would get attached to it, and it would be like a genius performance. He's just a renaissance man. Yeah, but I'm excited about the Han Solo movie. Having heard nothing about it, and I really do think they could get away with just like all of a sudden being like, it's in theaters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's still being like filmed or something. Ron Howard took over a couple months ago and had to shelve a ton of that footage. Okay, what are the odds that the movie, that they'll do the Han Solo movie and it won't have both the Kessel Run and the card game where he loses the Millennial Falcon? Wins it, right? Wins it. Well, yeah, where I was thinking where Lando loses it. All right, yeah. Will will both those scenes be in the movie? And, like, how sure are you they'll both be in the movie? I'm pretty sure they'll both be in the movie. The Kessel Run is the card game. (laughs) <laughs> the one I'm, I'm curious to know if we get why him saving Chewie. I do want to know how that partnership. If the whole movie is like a buddy movie, buddy comedy, not buddy comedy, but that like genre, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all about how Han Solo and Chewbacca's relationship started, I would be happy. If it was like Midnight Run in Space, yeah. that'd, that'd be pretty exciting for me. So that's I walked away from the Last Jedi thinking who my favorite character was, and like 
there's some like obvious standouts, but I think that like a sneaky third is like I love Chewbacca in that movie, and there's like I've never understood the fascination with this this character who doesn't speak and is all just like physical and basically just like comic relief, but also like the the brute force mm-hmm. like, behind everyone. I just like didn't ever get that. Maybe it hit too close to home, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's Groot. Right. Yeah. But this was the first movie that I that I watched where I was like, I get it. Like Chewbacca is an awesome character. He's got a lot more to do in these past two movies than he ever has. He's got a romance. When Han dies, he's got that that like pure rage where he starts blowing up the bombs with himself in the place. Like he just stops yeah. giving a fuck. I, do, yeah. I don't know. I've always liked him in the first two movies, uh, New Hope and Empire, just because he. I, I thought he had personality to him. Like you could just tell. Like no, he, he was, definitely does. But. He was skittish about things, despite being like the brute force, the strongest member of the team. Mm-hmm. He was the one who was easily scared by things, and yeah. It was, Always cracked me up. This, this movie in particular, like I, 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 I get it before, but this was where it was like it fully just like clicked with me because you know he's kind of he's kind of a ship without a mast now. Well, it's a, it's that one character too who sees the Jedi as kind of like a I don't give a fuck. Yeah, like I knew you before. Yeah, like I'll kick down your damn door at your Jedi temple. Like I don't give a shit. Yeah, I, I, I love these people. Yeah, this that's why I do it. Right, not because I'm in it for some kind of like political or right. personal gain, but I love these people and I want them to be safe. He's fun in these movies in particular, though, for that reason for me. In a universe where everybody, like, worships these mythical Jedi, mm-hmm. he is... Mm-hmm. He's, so, he's so agnostic yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a really well-reviewed movie mm-hmm. so far. I think it's mid-80s on Metacritic, which is impressive. Yep. Pretty good with a movie of the stakes, where people mm-hmm. are ready to, like... Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of it. Stake their claim that yeah. it's not so good. Yeah. Right. Um, will they stop with the... The, the the wipe transitions. <laughs> no, it's just too much a staple of Star Wars. I hate it. <laughs> yeah. There was one in particular where Kylo Ren had his hand out and took his fist and pounded his hand with his fist. And like as he did that, the screen transitioned from his closed fist out into the next scene. <laughs> and I was like, come on, guys. Like I'm fine with like a left to right wipe or like a pan, yeah. but like making it like wipe out of something. <laughs> yeah. It's like the thing I was talking about watching uh, Force Awakens. Um, for myself a month ago is that all of the ships still have a 70s like <clears throat> view of space yeah. where there are giant like gem colored multicolored buttons yeah. you just push just to do space stuff <laughs> yeah and now that like I mean Microsoft PowerPoint has lapped that kind of transition but it's still kind of it's right. yeah. just a staple yeah yeah I'll hey. go next yeah <laughs> Uh, I watched a couple movies. Uh, I'll talk about a couple TV shows first. Uh, one, uh, Mr. Robot just finished. I don't think a lot of people are current with Mr. Robot, and it's not getting a lot of love in like year-end best of TV lists. But I still think it's a it's a great show, and ended on a great note. I really want to watch it. I am ready to binge watch it. Mm-hmm. We have all eight episodes DVR'd, and I'm ready to to rip through it. Nice. Yep. So, the, the Rami Malek is really good in it. Um, Christian Slater, great, fun performance for him. And uh, Elliot's sister, Carly Shaken, has got a really good stuff. And there's a uh, there's a Streep daughter in it. But it's really good. The other thing I, I checked back in on is uh, Riverdale. After <laughs> enjoying the first season. The second season's out. Second season, has anyone seen it? I also watched it, it yeah. It's kind of fucking batty. <laughs> in what way? It's, it's a whole wait, wait, wait. It's, oh. uh, let me just preface this by saying it's already batty because if you're unfamiliar with Riverdale, it is a gritty take on the uh, characters from the Archie comics. 
Yeah, I was laughing watching the commercials for it coming up, but then heard good things. And I know you really enjoyed it, so I checked it out. It really is like inspired by like a Twin Peaks take on Archie comics. It's a Twin Peaks. Such a weird thing to think. It it's a thing. Twin Peaks meets Veronica Mars meets Archie. Yeah. So the second one is like. Uh, Mind Hunter meets Archie Comics. <laughs> there is a serial killer in Riverdale, and it is it is no, it's, it's I'll take that back. Not Mind Hunter. Straight up Zodiac meets meets Riverdale. <laughs> there is a serial killer, and he's like he's got he's the Black Hood, and like people trying to figure out who he is, and he sends ciphers to the newspapers. I'm guessing the the Jughead features prominently in trying to crack the code. Yes, he does. He he's obsessed with it. Um, <laughs> I don't if you, know, man. If you, it's, if you, it's, it's stretching my eh, <laughs> ability. Yeah. If you if you replace the names of all the characters in it, it's just like it's just like a solid CW show. Yeah, but then when you say that so the main fun. character is Archie, then it's, it gets a little harder to swallow. Weird. <laughs> I still think Betty and Veronica, two actors to play them, are really good. Yeah. And Jughead's fun. Yeah. It's weird though. Sounds um, like it. Yeah, this is this is the Zodiac season. <laughs> last <laughs> last 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 year was Twin Peaks. This is Zodiac, and then I watched a couple movies. Uh, I finally caught around to Logan because it's on HBO. Yeah, and I thought it was uh, again this is me watching something outside of the hype. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. I think it's it's in my top ten for this year. Yeah, maybe even yeah. much higher than that. Borderline for all of us. I bet I, I need to rewatch it because I mean, fuck, it came out in what January? Yeah, we saw it. Right before we came to a podcast in yes. January. Yeah, this is early. Yep. Patrick Stewart is phenomenal in it. He's really good. And uh, Hugh Jackman is just, it's nice for him to kind of uh, use more, uh, you know, colors on the palette. Than for yeah. for the Wolverine character, yeah. Normal Wolverine stuff. And Young Kid's really good. Plays All the good guys are good. good. Steven Merchant. Yeah, he's good as Caliban. Yeah. All the good guys are good. And the, the, the only part about that movie that... You know, if I'm picking something I don't like, it's like, I don't remember anything about the big bads in that movie. Oh. There's the bad guy from uh, Narcos, Boyd Holbrook. Mm. He's like the southern guy with the mechanical hand. Yeah, I, mean, I vaguely remember him. It was just for, immediately he's, forgettable to me. He's pretty good, but he, he's, already, he's already fading from memory. That's, I was thinking about our conversation afterwards, and I think it's hard to remember a lot of things about the bad guy, because this is an unconventional superhero movie, and that the bad guy in this movie is time. Yeah. Like, they're just trying yeah. to... Well, sure, and and then they and they're kind of saying like to a point. Obviously, it, it shifts to more traditional uh, when it has clone Hugh Jackman fight Hugh Jackman. Um, but they're saying like our existence in this world is bad. So like the world and present day are the enemy, and this isn't a superhero movie. This is a movie about a couple old dogs like driving around. Mm-hmm. It's the new Wild Hogs. Yeah, it's the new Wild Hogs. But I liked it. I know we already talked a bunch about it. I also watched something else uh, we talked about. I saw It Comes at Night. It's on... Um, Netflix? Netflix or... I think Amazon, Amazon now. Amazon. Yeah, I seem to remember when you guys talked about it, that you guys were both very negative about it. Not very. I was. I think I was three or three and a half on... <laughs> it, it did come off that way to us, I think, because I also thought y'all... It was really extremely it. disappointing, mm. but... The movie in a vacuum was not bad, right? That's all I felt about it. We also came with expectations, and I don't think that any other person who watched It Comes at Night expected anything from it, mm-hmm. which is you know the disappointment thing. We went on like a horror slash like sci-fi suspense double feature at the drive-in and saw Alien Covenant and It Comes at Night with the girls who hated. It comes at night. Was that or was that Blair Witch and it comes at night? No, it was it was it comes at night alien. Okay. 
Because that's a it's a weird slot for that. Because hearing your guys' conversation and then taking a flyer on watching it, it's a great just like super suspenseful, dread filled little indie. Not much is going to happen, but it's a slow burn kind of movie. It was a very slow burn. I wonder if the drive-in setting really like detracts from that movie a bit compared to other movies. Not to me. Not to you. I, I said that it might have, I think last week we talked about it, um, but I said that it might have for me. But I'm, I'm not a, an experienced drive-in theater goer. Yeah, I, I, I came away like really, really impressed with the movie. Huh. Nice. Edgerton's great in it. Edgerton's yeah, great. Really um, the guy from Girls, Christopher Abbott's really, really good, good, really twitchy. And the, I don't know if he's been in anything, but uh, Joel's son in the movie is really good. Especially in the nightmare sequences. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 the strength of that movie is always expecting to see, to see the threat. Yeah. And it's just like, it is a looming presence. It's, it's like if Cloverfield never showed the Cloverfield monster. That's, that's what it felt like to me is, you know, you know that there's this menace and it's just behind the curtain, and every time a character gets close to peeking behind the curtain, it like hard cuts away to another scene. It's just really effective. The, the way I took what I took from that movie was more of it's you know there's a big bad, but the big bad is you in this scenario, right? It's the you kill these people. Yeah, we don't even know if there's a monster. We don't even know what the post-apocalyptic reasons are for this universe. Yeah. It's just you're in the woods alone and you're scared. Because you're in the woods alone, I'm guessing. And when you're scared, you do dumb shit. But I'm not not convinced there was a big bat in that movie at all. Like, the dog could have ran in the woods to go chase a squirrel. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's our minds as watchers that made it something crazy. And the kid who's insane. So, I don't know. It just felt done to me. Mm. I think it was done really well. I think it was acted really well. It was mm-hmm. a beautiful, beautifully shot movie. Yeah, so some uh, limited uh, scenes and stuff. I just thought it was super effective. At, like I said, I'd recommend it. It was, it was three or three and a half for me on Letterboxd. Yeah, I think it was a solid four for me. Nice. Just great dread in that movie. As a survival horror, real fan, yeah. I really recognize that. Yeah. Uh, I just saw two other things. I saw Free Fire. It's also on Amazon Prime. It's fun. And yeah, it's like all these <laughs> things you guys have seen, I, I think I like even better. Now, it's like, I don't know if I have expectation for it, but it is so much fun. Yeah. Army Hammer is so much fun in that movie. He's charismatic as fuck, man. Yeah, he's charismatic as, as all get it. Yeah, so, I'm just anything with Charlotte Copte in it, too. He's so neurotic and weird. Yeah. <laughs> he's, so, he's so funny and manic in that movie. Yeah. It's, you, you, I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. Like, everyone's got some, like, shitty one-line that they, like, yell at each other. Well, they're trying to blow each other's heads off. Also, just love the premise, which is like, you know, kind of shitty, petty arms dealers think they're better than they are. <laughs> yeah. I do. It was really fun. And it's like some minor personal thing sets off like this epic gun battle. Yeah. And it's so interesting that everybody, like you guys are saying, are crawling on dirt like the entire duration <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, I enjoyed Free Fire. It was real fun. I really liked it. I know the director, Ben Wheatley, threw like, some of his more like punishing movies. Have you guys ever seen The Kill List? No. Oh my god, it is a, it is a rough watch of a movie. Like, huh. Extremely un- unsettling and up- upsettingly brutal movie. It's like a British like a hitman movie. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm through that. So this was like, I was so, I guess this is my week of surprise. So surprised by how light on its feet this movie was and how much the dialogue was like really funny. Yeah. All the minor characters are saying really funny stuff. 
No, definitely a recommend from from me. From back, we saw it in the theater. I did. Yeah, it's really good. And love the sound design is incredible. Yeah, I think I talked about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah. That was that was something that I reiterated too. The conversations happening over the shoulder of the character who's in the shot when you're in the circle. Yeah, and you can hear people around mm-hmm. you in the theater. Anyway, uh, Brent actually has surround sound set up here. I wonder if it'll translate whenever you get to watch it. Oh, maybe so. Be fun. Be fun. Yeah. And I, I looked it up online afterwards. Like he had such mastery of the set where everything was going to go on. I think they said on IMDb that he created the set in Minecraft and would like <laughs> walk around in it. Like he did it like to, to scale. I don't know whatever that would be in Minecraft, but mm. so like also <clears throat> knowing where he was looking for all this stuff. Neat. Which was kind of cool. It could have taken that long to film that that movie. Yeah, it's it's truly one setting mm-hmm. for the entire thing. And he said he was inspired by playing Counter Strike. To write this movie. Nice. So, interesting. Last thing, I completed a trilogy. I think it just got... It was just available online. It's a uh, series that we've talked about before. A Legion? I saw uh, a <laughs> trip to Spain. <laughs> nice. Shit, I thought about watching that this Unlikely week, trip. Most unlikely trilogy out there. How is <laughs> it? Same, it's, same and good? Yeah. It's a little bit of... Uh, what I had on what Letterboxd is a little bit of diminishing returns... You know, going back to the well one too many times. Sure. And you're you're gonna get Al Pacino impression, Michael Caine impression, <laughs> Woody Allen, Man in the Box. Yep, Man Did in the Box. How I, I'm sure you told me this before, but uh, how is Trip to Italy? Oh, I liked it. Okay, it was it was good. You know, it, it obviously in quality for me goes one, two, three. Okay. You know, the first one's the best. Second one's pretty good. Third one's not as good. But uh, there's some new elements they add each time. I forget what the showcase impression is. But uh, this one, Steve Coogan's a lot more f- game in it. Okay. Um, if that's something that, that bothered anybody about the the first one, is it how like dismissive he is of Rob Bryan? an asshole he is. Yeah. Rob Bryan's a star. You know, Coogan's a little more down on his luck, a little bit in his personal life, and it's more like just want to have fun and play games with Rob. Oh, that's fun. Fun. And uh, it's just really funny, you know, using the the actors' actual lives is... They mentioned Philomena a lot, which Steve Coogan, <laughs> Coogan was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Finally. You know, they referenced that in, right. trip, in the trip. Yeah. And uh, it's really funny. One time, like, the publicist asked him, like, have you seen, uh, you know, they're in Spain, like, convents and all kinds of things. He's like, have you seen, uh, have you seen Steve Coogan? And Rob Brydon goes like, uh, I'm sure he's talking to a nun somewhere if he's, if she's seen Philomena. <laughs> <laughs> talking about Judy Dench somewhere. Nice. <laughs> but it's pretty fun. Cool. It's, it's a good, uh, passive watch. It's pretty funny. Yeah. But, you know, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. And that's it. That's all I got. Cool. I watched a couple of things that haven't been talked about. Um, uh, I saw Star Wars. We talked about that already. I did... Catch Miracle on 34th Street, the 40s film, mm-hmm. and it echoed David's sentiments on that. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. The The plot, the story is not what I... I just never knew what it was about. That's yeah. my problem. Um, but it was good. It was really good. Yeah, you uh, know, it's like guy who says he's really Santa Claus. Yeah. But I think it's more cleverly written than it really needs to be. Sure. The guy who plays, the guy who plays Kringle, who won an Oscar, got nominated for Best Actor. He won, yeah. Uh, was really good in yeah. that role. Um, and a young Natalie Wood, which I never knew either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, good movie. Check that out. Um, and I saw a couple that I'll talk about too, in particular. Uh, I saw a 2009 movie called The Visioneers. 
Have you heard of this movie? I've, I've never heard I've of it. I've heard of it. Oh, I've, I think I've I've scrolled past it on Netflix maybe before, where it's it's Zach Galifianakis has like a mechanical looking eye or something. Yeah, it's, on I think the it's box just a art, uh, magnifying glass. But yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, heard of it, but not much past. It's that, bizarre, man. It's on Prime streaming. I definitely recommend it because it's so strange. But it's a post-apocalyptic movie. He, they work at the Jeffers Corporation, where they say hi by flicking each other off it's like a mm. thing that happens in this universe and people also uh, die from the, they're just called explosions they get real stressed out and their heads explode <laughs> and that happens randomly throughout the movie like you'll hear it in rooms and see it on TV shows uh, Zach Galifianakis plays kind of a high up he lives in this huge like sprawling mansion villa but he's super depressed and worried obviously about exploding at some point his wife is Judy Greer who's really good hmm. in the movie I love Judy Greer yeah um but it's weird. It goes through. It's pretty much just him trying to figure out his life and how why he's so sad and worried about exploding. <laughs> but it is a bizarre movie that I would recommend, just like I said, because it's so crazy. I'm not real sure how I feel about it yet. We finished it, you know, last night. I've been awake for two hours <laughs> since I finished that movie. I think so. Yeah, uh, it's still settling a little bit, but definitely check it out it's on Amazon and it's it's weird and Galifianakis delivers another one of those weird what's the movie with him in the mental hospital oh, with uh, Julia Roberts Emma Roberts it's a long title right yeah it's like it's kind of a funny story yeah mm-hmm. kind of that that kind of Galifianakis character he's really good at those when he sets out to do them I think uh, and then I saw Shape of Water the new Guillermo del Toro how was it very del Toro beautiful um, weird very fucking weird it is a straight up mermaid human love story like complete with singing crabs no with like <laughs> mermaid y'all seen the guy in the trailer the the, the, the mermaid they don't call him a mermaid in the movie but mermaid yeah the guy who uh, like straight up again. like sex scenes with the mermaid and Sally Hawkins mm-hmm. just really just strange this is Doug Jones too He's in all Dead Forest stuff he's the thin man in Pan's Labyrinth yeah you yeah. know what I mean by that yeah I'm a, they call, they call the, the, the pale, yeah. pale man. Pale I think man, yeah. yeah. Actual. Thin man is a 30s movie. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he's in both Hellboys. Yep, he's uh, Abe. Yeah. Not the voice, though. And he plays a lot of the, he did a lot of motion capture for a ghost in, what's the Tom Hiddleston Del Toro movie that didn't get received that well? Uh, Red Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak. Yeah. <laughs> Red, Red Mountain. Mountain. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, the cast is incredible. It's definitely a movie that I can see get nominated for Best Picture and would deserve it. It's technically brilliant. And Michael Shannon plays the big bad, so mm-hmm. he's really good at that. But um, Schoolbarg is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And That's Janky Boy, Richard Jenkins. Uh, yeah, Doug Sonner leaned over and was like, this guy's like secretly one of my favorite actors Like when he started on screen. And she said it was his favorite part. Her favorite part of the movie was... I love him when he pops up and stuff. Yeah. Like, even in Step Brothers... He's, he's like great. so great and committed in mm-hmm. Step Brothers. He plays a he's got a TV show closeted neighbor of Sally Hawkins, and mm-hmm. it's just adorable. Their relationship is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Octavia Spencer knocks it out of the park as this like supporting actress again. I feel like she always does. Yeah, anytime she's, I mean, not not that she couldn't be a lead, but in any movie where she's a minor character, I feel like she's got a good shot of getting nominated for best supporting actress just because she's so good at it. Yes, it was it was really good definitely recommend going and checking it out it's just more bizarre than I thought it would be I don't know why I did that with Guillermo del Toro but yeah I remember I saw Crimson Peak that's uh was that his last movie before this yeah and definitely seen as his worst critically yeah it's visually impressive yeah really impressive but also really boring 
yeah. the story, which is a shame. This was not not boring at all. Good, but uh, yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, and just so anybody, because it is a little under the radar. There's uh, Sally Hawkins plays a maid at a government facility in Baltimore. She's mute. She her best friend is Octavia Spencer, who's her like cleaning partner, and uh, they will in. They call it an asset in the movie, and uh, they will in this mermaid, merman looking thing, and she befriends it because she says she has a tie to it because the uh, he can't talk either, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really good. They they are adorable together. The montage of her getting to know him is really well done. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. This is really good. Very interesting to watch. Just bizarre. I'm excited to see it. How how they can like normalize <clears throat> a woman falling in love with like a fish man. They really don't try to. Do you get like? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like a thing you need to accept, kind of. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like you like just take that. That that's that's what's happening. Yeah. Versus... I mean, she, there are some moments where she explains it like heartfelt, mm-hmm. and you can tell she means it. But, but uh, from the outset, if someone tells you like uh, this fish woman romance, you'd be like, "Oh, that sounds really weird. I don't want to see that." Yeah, it'd be interesting seeing how that gets pulled off. Yeah, they do a good job of leading you up to that point too. Like mm-hmm. you immediately in the first ten minutes are like, "Oh, this isn't what I thought I was going to watch." Um, before you ever see the water creature, but it's good. It's violent. It's super super gory. Mm-hmm. Who's got the uh, is it fingernails? Is that your thing or your thing? I've got fingernails. The, you don't like seeing them ruined, you dumbass. I, I think that's a dick. Maybe. I don't like fingernails. So, look away at times. You'll see it Is coming. It, whose eyes? That's gross. Eyes? Teeth? Teeth. Teeth, that's right. Cast away, yeah. Slicing. Right. Yeah. Wrist or throat. Yeah. Just any... Yeah. Like that, seeing it happen. I also don't like teeth. any of that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah none of this sounds great. That's why TJ... TJ. That's why TJ eats pizza... It's like a giant piece. Yeah. <laughs> Refuses to slice it. I don't like slicing anything. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Music's fantastic, too. Cool. I, I will say. Um, yeah, definitely a, a go watch. And, uh, of course, he's getting a lot of buzz this year. Sally Hawkins is phenomenal mm-hmm. as a non-deaf or mute person playing a mute person. The sign language comes across really well. And the, I thought about Chris liking this part. The way they insert the graphics into her when she's signing to other people mm-hmm. is really clever, I think. It's mm-hmm. like bright mustard font and it's always near her hands it like follows her hmm, cool sounds which is just a, yeah, more little, dynamic a big little way to do it yeah yeah so you can kind of be like, well, in the action rather than like looking down yeah. away from it it's like what people do with text messages now but they're doing it yeah 100 years ago with sign language yep mm-hmm. cool that's it alright well I don't have a watch list because I saw The Last Jedi but I did watch Survivor yeah oh yeah and challenging Are You The One reunion what nothing I was like, this is this is my life. <laughs> Watching like a two part Are You the One finale. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it as soon as I could. <laughs> I'll do the same for the second one. How was the finale? Well, it made me reevaluate things. Uh, finale was good. I mean, the two part reunion is the thing. Yeah, when we realized it was two parts and that the second part wasn't immediately starting afterwards, yeah. and we had to wait until next week for it, Kelly did say out loud. I hate the show. The show is stupid. Why do we watch it? <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna catch the second part. We will too. <laughs> so, so y'all sound so defeated. Well, it's also just a stupid show for a reunion. Like all anyone wants to know is like, are the couples still together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they just like bang, 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 like ran down that list, then it's like okay, cool. Because like on the challenge when they do a reunion or like Survivor when they have the live finale, 
They talk about moves they made. They talk about like mm-hmm. yeah. you know exciting moments. They talk about you know people's perspectives on big events. Mm-hmm. Like, but there isn't that in Are You the One? Like, because yeah. in Are You the One, they're not playing against each other, right? No, right. It's, it's a big cooperative game, and they're all trying to figure out this one puzzle. The thing that's frustrating in the reunion is like, okay, Malcolm, you were. You know, looking at two different people, Nerys and Deandra. Yeah. It's like, all right, but that's the point of the fucking game. Yeah. It's like, you're seeing what your chemistry is with this person. You know, something happens and you go to another one. It's like, that's not being like a backsliding, like, cheat. Yeah. Well, for him a little bit. He's going back and forth pretty often. But, I mean, they're kind of like shaming people. Like, there's this one girl who kisses, like, five guys. It's yeah. like, that's part of the game, is figuring out who you match with. Yeah, and it's if, like, if physical chemistry is really important to you... <laughs> Which is one of the things that one of the loser club talked about is they were like, this guy Shad, who's like super self-involved, his like whole thing going into it was like he thinks too much of himself, and so he loses people. Everyone has him. these own like little chirons underneath their name, like mm-hmm. why they're bad at love. Some people are like habitual player. His is like loves himselfy. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he said at like the outset of the reunion show that. The majority of the women on the show wanted a physical connection to see if they had chemistry there, and he doesn't do that. And that limited his options when trying to see, when trying to like play the game or find something that he liked. And everyone else on the show found that like point of view, that position, just preposterous. Weird. And then the producers did that. They just like shamed Alexis for like kissing five different guys. And they also shamed the Losers Club for like being that way. Yeah. It's like they take this really weird tone in their reunion. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the MTV is so far above like these these um, more. I mean, they're all morons. Yeah. But it's like I mean, what show did you want? It's like both versions of the show you're like making fun of. You can't be in on the joke when you're making it. That's like for us. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's 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 you know, it's weird. And it's probably the final season, right? Probably, but who knows? I mean real world silently got cancelled. So yeah. maybe this isn't cancelled. Who who fucking knows? How y'all feel about the past few weeks of uh Survivor? Um Yeah, it's been it's it's gotten more fun over the last couple of weeks thanks yeah. to uh, honestly, I mean the major culprit here is incompetence on um, from people other than Ben. Yeah. Like after Ben's playing a different game, it feels like. Well, first Ben Ben did understand what I think is always the smartest. Well, it tends to be the uh, the smart move, which is don't reveal your idol once yeah. you find it. Yeah, he's the more, only more person not, not to do it. More often than not, occasionally it can backfire in that you lose trust of people by not who people who didn't know that you had it. But I feel like this is the time to keep it hidden, though, yes. because there's like five people left now. I don't yeah. think there'll be another one. Plus, he already had kind of lost trust, so that that aspect didn't really matter to him. Like, he, no people wanted him out anyway, so it was the perfect time for him to start bringing out idols. But the the when I talk about incompetence, it's the following episode where Ben's the only one to go out into the jungle and look for idols, and they all just sit around camp just talking about it. Like, so Chrissy wakes up and goes, "Like, yeah, he's been gone for about forty five yeah, minutes." Yeah, all they do is just like huff and shake their head, like, "Oh, he's out looking for idols." At that point, how does everyone not just fan out? That's because be... even if Ben's close or something, you're gonna like, you know, you're gonna scare him off that place. Yeah, like yeah. that was that was my thought watching it. Yeah, no, they should have for sure. Um, it's been a few weeks since we talked about Survivor. A couple weeks ago, though, I, I loved. Uh, was it Doctor Mike who threw Lauren's? Mm-hmm. Half of Lauren's idol into the fire. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
That is one of my favorite moves of the season. One of my favorite little small moves of all time. It was really was good. Just yeah, Lauren giving that to him as like a a sign of trust, which was pointless. Yeah. And he just mm. threw it in the... He threw it in the fire. It's so great. She fucked up. She was in a great spot. Yeah. I did. I was really liking Lauren's chances. And then it just... Uh, yeah. Just dissipated. I, I never liked that. Didn't call her character. I never liked the character she was playing on that show anyway. If that's her or not. But uh, she was in a sitting pretty, I think. And just fucked it all up in a matter of minutes. She had an extra vote. She had an idol. If she played the extra vote, she played the idol, she could have gone. Or she had the extra vote, she could have at least drawn for rocks. Yeah, you know, she was the person that I don't think the rest of them realized they didn't want to be sitting next to at the end of the game. Right? I think they. I don't think, I think they realized ben that, but I out. think, I think, yeah, I think Ben did figure it out. But <clears throat> I don't think she was viewed as the threat that she was because I think she didn't play like loudly and she didn't really like piss a lot of people off and she was. Uh, I don't know. For people like her, I feel like the biggest obstacle is just getting over the first two votes of this season. Yeah. Well, she also said that she's she was not a big Survivor fan before. It was yeah. her partner, it was her sister, was, right? Her right. sister. Yeah. Right. And you can kind of tell, like, just for myself, she seemed to her strategy every week was like, "Who bugs me the most?" <laughs> it's kind of really utilitarian. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, I got forty days. It's forty days or something. Yeah. I got forty days. Like, uh. It would be so much better if this person wasn't here. That's a very, like, early season yeah. strategy. Or, like, what I mean, like, is the early seasons of Survivor, yeah. that was a very common strategy, mm-hmm. which is just, let's make this time as pleasant as possible for me. Mm-hmm. You could tell she kind of got some highlights, like, her and her sister both went for it, and her sister didn't. Her sister was probably like, this is what you gotta do, and she's like, yeah, I got it, I got it, yeah. <laughs> which I actually applaud them for casting her because it seems like we've shifted so much to super fans in recent yeah. years that I bet I bet when there's somebody who's kind of good who's not a super fan they're like they move them on to the next phase yeah just because yeah yeah it's that's the that's the one thing I think Survivor does need is more <laughs> not necessarily I mean they they have they do a pretty good job getting diverse casts but what I mean when a, the added diversity of like diversity when it comes to how how much you care about Survivor yeah. and how much you have watched Survivor. I was thinking about the casting process, if that's like part of it, is like, have you seen any seasons of Survivor? And they go like, no, I haven't seen any. And they like call your phone and it rings like, oh, wait, 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 you think it's like like jury tampering? Like you want a jury who doesn't know anything about it? Yeah, or like on, on the uh, you know they're casting and in the cushions of the couch is like an immunity idol. <laughs> You've seen this before. They should have a survivor. There's a wrapped up scroll on the wall. It's just an evangel. And you're like Aah. under the producer's chair. It's your idol, and you go <laughs> to get a bunch of fresh fresh blood on the show. People who aren't survivor super fans. We should do a Survivor Kids season. Oh, we talk about the Survivor toddlers. <laughs> Not toddlers. <laughs> I mean, actually, we're talking about that one time. Let's just put babies out there. <laughs> Three month year old babies. Survivor babies. You live till day four, you win. <laughs> but you can put like 13, 14 year old kids there. Yeah, Lord of the Flies went well. The best, <laughs> the best part of Survivor Babies would be the final travel council where two of them are just babbling and then there's just. Several crying <laughs> on the jury. I think if you have 13, 14 year olds, you have a much higher chance than you do with adults of one of the contestants being 
murdered. <laughs> Unchecked, yeah. like kid rage, is a scary thing. I think the better better idea for to, to make the contestants final survivor is just to tell them they're going to be on some completely different show. Like, yeah, you're you're the new season of Master Chef. <laughs> just like kidding. You're in Fiji now. Look, but that'd be awesome though. If they, there was like they would cook three meals. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, I, I have an organic farm at home, so I'm just not used to having such wonderful ingredients like taro and coconut and rice. Who's y'all's favorite to win right now? You gotta pick. Gosh, Ben. If Ben makes it, I mean, if Ben, but does Ben survive the next couple weeks? That's the thing. That's the question. If Ben yeah. makes it in the next ben two weeks, uh, Ben. Brent doesn't really agree with me, though, necessarily. Really? He's in the final three? That if he's in the final three, he wins automatically. I think he does. I think so, too. I think, I think Devin's the most well-rounded, though. I think he didn't piss people off. I think he made moves. I think he's a physical competitor. I think he contributed it. Pissed, pissed off Ashley. Huh? That was hilarious. Pissed off Ashley. That was hilarious. Yeah. But also, and I, I know I've talked about this on the podcast, I just love all of the testimonials from Devin. <laughs> Because he's always just like, wow. And then Chrissy told me that she was going to put Idol, and I was just like, oh my god, really? <laughs> he, looks, just, he looks like a caricature of a devil on someone's shoulder, too. Just <laughs> like his, his like yeah. face and eyes and his little goatee. He's played smart the past few weeks, though. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah. I would probably, assuming that they're not dumb in my mind and get bent out in the next two weeks, I would probably pick. That's what. By the way, that's why I can't pick Ben as a favorite at all. Besides Ben, I would say yeah, because odds are he's going to go out the next. Maybe weeks. Chrissy. I think. I think everybody else wants Ben and Chrissy gone. Mm. If they have it their way. So Nick. So there's five. If, so there's two episodes until the final three. If yeah. there was just well, not yes. episodes, but votes. Yeah, it all ends oh, next man. week. Oh wow! Yeah. You get three, three hours, hours of Survivor, Survivor next, next week. Holy moly! Yeah, you get both. <laughs> nice Devin and both episodes. <laughs> <and> then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. god! Jeff was like, "It's over that week," and I was like, "Wow!" It's <laughs> like, "What?" This is mind blowing. Yeah, you'll get Ben sent home in the first hour, probably, <laughs> and then somebody else sent home in hour two, and then they do the live reunion show. No, um, I think that if if you are Ben, Chrissy, or Devin, you want to be sitting with Ryan and Mike. Yes, and I think that, that any, anything else. Uh, makes it a much harder finale. Yeah. Yeah. If there's any any two of those top three... Ryan and Mike have been kind of passive. Going along with uh, movers. They've had moments, but I just don't think they've had The only moment. thing yeah. that's in Mike's favor is he's got some friends already on that jury. People who like Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has people who hate him it also on has, that jury, though. Yeah. It, is, it, is, he, uh, it has been a little impressive that he has managed to survive in the game this long. And I still think, man, from the past few seasons... Then again, I've only seen four now, I think, complete seasons. I feel like the votes tend to go with the best player at the end. Yes, yeah. more often than not, they do. And I think it's been Ben, maybe Chrissy, out of who's left, that have been the best players. I think Devin's got an equal shot. He's, he's close. I think, I think Devin's been the best player, personally. Really? Yeah. Ben had, it's that perfect damn round. It's so hard to forget that. You, a perfect round. It's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's just so fun to watch. It's just so hard to do. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was funny thinking about Lauren and the game that she played and why she was such a threat. And I was thinking, she was always on the majority of the vote. Like, she was never wrong. She was already always on the majority of the vote, including the final vote, when yeah. she got kicked off. Mm-hmm. Like, she was in she the played right. She really well. Just fucked it up at the end. So. Yeah. Fun. So I'd probably, I'll probably pick Chrissy, if I'm picking right now. Best player? No, for a winner. Oh. Yeah, I'll go with Chrissy. So we'll, we'll see. Who would she be going against? Obviously not. I bet... Know. 
Um, Ryan and Devin. If it's if Chrissy, I think she's going to end up with Ryan and Devin. Yeah, I think Devin for sure. And I think Ben goes out. Devin's probably my favorite to win immunity on the on the four. And then they send home. She probably sends home Mike. Ryan's no threat to her. Yeah. Yeah, you sent. The only thing is, unless you can trick, if you can somehow get Ryan on the jury, he's definitely voting Chrissy. But I don't know if you want to fuck with that too much. Because that's since, like, before they even met. Yeah. They were kind of tied together. Yeah. The first episode, right? When Ryan Ryan gave her the. Yeah. The the kind of blind protection. Mm. And then smartly, you know, told her about it. As soon as the merge happened. Only if she would know. Yeah. I would say say Chrissy, though, if I had to put money on on a win. It would be interesting though to see if they're like if if Ben is able to convince the cabal of useless players and wind up with Ben Ryan Mike and I don't think that Ryan's ever going to vote against Chrissy but he has to see that he's been riding her coattails. I see Ryan and Mike as like the same player. Yeah. Likewise, that's why it was like, important it's, for Ryan. It's the, stra- the Ron same. played a little stronger earlier, I think, and Mike's played a little stronger later. But yeah, yeah I can see that. Mm-hmm. It's the same argument can be made for both, which I think if they're both in, I think that's a instant win for the third person. But if it's Ben, if Brent's right, and enough people hated the game that Ben played, mm-hmm. like I don't know. Once you go back to that hotel room and you know you get your hair cut and you shave, maybe putting a little uh, context on it. I, I haven't seen any of the votes like probably in ten years for this thing, but uh, you know you got to appreciate it. Ben's biggest obstacle if he gets to that final jury is. The fact that he is very condescending to yeah. other people. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Clip. And I think I think people would. There's a very real chance that if he's not just if he doesn't tone it down enough in that in that final travel, then people could just cast votes against him out of spite. When it's to the final three, do they still do the thing where you say like argument for yourself? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it'd be like, it's all, for me, it would be all on that. If you can show yourself to be earnest and like all this was I think ben work can. towards I think, that. I think he, can, he definitely yeah. has the potential to, but he also, show, show he's me. always teetering on the edge of just like that, that smug smirk that he yeah, has yeah. at times. Yeah. Cut through that. Show that you're humble right. and you're earnest and this was like hard work. If he really you makes it about his kids too. Like he's, he's one who I think could get away with playing that kid card. And that's the thing Chrissy has going against that her. Too. Is I don't know if Chrissy has revealed yet that she is a self-made millionaire. Not that I've seen. Um, but when they find that out before the live reunion, that that does play in people's minds. Well, they voted. Who, who the, deserves this? They money? vote on Alan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they they won't know anything until they leave the. Island. Jeff just reads the votes at the yeah. to begin the. They like put them in a jar and keep them for months. Well, they Price re- rearrange them. them. Yeah. Price Waterhouse Cooper people. Yeah. <laughs> like a little handcuffed briefcase. <laughs> handcuffed urn. Yep. <laughs> Not anymore. It's Price Waterhouse Cooper people. <laughs> you had one job. <laughs> Did you catch Top Chef? Oh, yeah. I watched Top Chef. Yeah. I'm still having trouble uh, connecting to anybody. Yeah. There's, there's there, no one in particular that I... There's really already like. people I dislike. Though. Yeah. <laughs> Joe with a little, like, curly cue, quaffed... Like oh, detailed mustache, he's got like a little like perfectly like mustache oiled into a little like curly yeah. cue. Huh. So it's like a hipster mustache. Yeah, and, and just he, like that guy, and he was jerk in the last episode. And he is, and he is an early favorite. Like both Joes are both really good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's two people named Joe, which is weird that this is the first time it's happened that there's two people with the same name because they are really making it a point to be like Joe. Which one? Huh, both of you. It's yeah. like, stop it. Like, we, we are people who've interacted with other people with our same name. Like, maybe not Padma, 
but like probably even Padma or brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But Top Chef remains a good reality competition show. Yeah, um, I'll pick it up. I'll watch it again because I've, I've definitely seen past seasons and they were super entertaining. It's a great structure. It's the best part of like any food TV show with like a nice competitive human interest piece tacked onto it. Yes. Yeah. So it hits both things in, in my brain. Yeah, I always try and figure out the formula. They'll like second episode. You could you could uh, there was kind of a the meta story. Yeah, you could tell who was going home. But there's like they'll focus on someone's life. Mm-hmm. And so, like that means they either win the quick fire, or they like are really bad at the quick fire, or they win the whole thing. Uh, the the, or they're going the home elimination that challenge, day. or they're going home that day, or they're in the bottom that day. So you like watch the human interest pieces, and you just like there's there's a pattern in there somewhere. But I wonder if it's like press your luck, where before there was a pattern, there was only eight possible patterns, and now there's like four hundred eighty million. Huh. And then just. And, oh. I, want, I don't want to crack the code because then that kind of kills the reason for watching the episode. Hmm. But I always feel like I'm, I'm close. That's good there. Breezy? All night? Three? <laughs> Breezy on the street. Breezy. Breezy. The biggest news is a uh, thing we talked about a couple weeks ago went through is that Disney bought the movie properties of 20th Century Fox. And Correct. Television, yeah. yeah. Television too. Television properties as well. All, all yeah. based, all filmed TV IPs. Non news, non business, non sports. Yep. And I, I learned something that the uh, agreement is Disney is going to lease it for like seven years and then own it outright after that. And with with this also comes the news that Bob Iger is staying on until twenty twenty one. So what, what does this mean for Disney and or those Fox properties? How will that change? Pretty much means Disney. Nothing for seven years unless Disney wants to borrow them for anything. They just can now. Mm -hmm. Um, Does this ultimately make the Disney streaming service more attractive to purchasers? Yeah, because you're going to have... Yeah. I mean, you'll have Simpsons, too. Yeah. Even though this this also means... Simpsons, Family Guy, all that'll go there. I don't know if this was involved in the deal, but Disney owned 20% of Hulu... Mm-hmm. And Fox owned twenty percent of Hulu. Twentieth Century Fox owned twenty percent mm-hmm. of Hulu. So I'm not sure if the interest in Hulu also was part of the deal. Because if it is, then now Disney also has a controlling interest in Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not, then business as usual with Hulu. Disney is going to pull all it and you know Fox content out of it, and they're going to keep Fox Sports because they're Hulu is pushing the live sports thing mm-hmm. um, pretty heavily. But definitely it's going to be some implications in the streaming world. Wow. Yeah, then you get like the the MCU when it continues on to phase five, I guess, will be the next phase that we probably see this happen. You get the possibility of Fantastic Four and X-Men entering the MCU. Because <clears throat> bear in mind, like all the Civil War stuff, like X-Men were everywhere. Yeah. Age of Ultron, the Very main character is Wolverine. So. Yeah. yeah. Basically like Wolverine and Ant-Man. Are supposed to be the big two. Wolverine goes back in time to kill Hank Pym. Yeah, because Hank Pym creates Ultron in the comics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's. I mean, you open up all kinds of doors, and I don't know if they'll do that or not because there's so many damn characters in the MCU now. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, but, that, was, I mean, that was that was the Colbert joke. I got a feeling they're going to clear the deck with uh, after this. Know, they're kind of uh, expensing themselves out of these people that they're building out now. Building up now, Robert Downey Jr. is too expensive. 
to keep having in movies with a bunch of actors. Yeah. Same with Chris Evans. Same with... Uh, well, Evans won't tell. Same with uh, um, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Like, the, the pillars are all now too expensive from the movies that they became popular in. I think they're going to clear the deck for these characters. So there may be a vacuum for some of these to come in. Maybe. That's, that's my thought. I just don't think they give a shit about how much money they're spending these movies right now. Well, I think... I think it, it's all in the money they're going to get. Yeah, I just don't. I mean, like Downey's already passed like thirty million dollars a movie. If he gets like, if he demands like it's going to be, you know, this thing's going to make a billion. I need like seventy five million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm going to be in it, and he's going to be almost in his sixties pretty soon. I mean, there's going to be a point where you know the spreadsheet's not going to work anymore. But. Uh, a spreadsheet always works when you're making a billion dollars, man. And, <laughs> and, and I'm just saying, like, there's... Well, if you're spending $250 million why risk, on Why risk the fucking backlash that's possible? You know what I mean? They, they also bought an extension by now owning 20th Century Fox. They will now have, I think it was like 40% of all mm-hmm. movies released in the United States will be under the Disney banner. Yeah, it's wild. Like, like I, I would be surprised if this... I mean, it's going to because of the administration, but I w- the the DOJ is going to look at this deal as they do with any giant corporate merger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, kid, there's, not, a, ch- there's a chance they make them divest more assets yeah. um, and say, you know, like you can have TV, you can have these film properties, but you can't have fucking Fantastic Four, you can't have X Men. Like, you can't have all these other ancillary, like, Fox Studio properties, because it's, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the Disney umbrella, including 20th Century Fox now, last year, was responsible for, like, $80 billion worth of box office sales. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a ridiculous number. And the next studio that's close is, like, barely scratching, like, $5 billion. I also read a thing that it, it may lead to less movies coming out from... The Omni Disney Company. Why? They focus their resources on, I mean, the things that, the tent poles make the money, right? Mm-hmm. And you can afford all the smaller stuff through that. So, like, Star Wars costs, you know, $250 million to make. Uh-huh. Like, the big Avengers movie, like $275 million, is you're going to have more focus on building tent poles and these huge, like, almost $300 million movies and not releasing smaller stuff. I, I mean,. I don't know. Because it's, why would you take the risk on losing that money when you have all of the tent poles now? Yeah, I mean, I get it. I just don't. It sounds super conspiracy theory e to me. I think that is probably all bullshit until I see it happen. But it's just one of those things. I mean, I also don't think it's going to happen. And to be even more conspiracy theory e is Avengers never opened up against a Star Wars movie. Like, mm-hmm. these big, big comic book movies from one studio never opened up against another big comic book movie. They already knew. That they were going to, they, like, they don't want to fight for the release weekend. They're, they're not going to. Yeah, even when there were different studios, right. they weren't fighting each other. Right. And like I said, I just don't know what a Disney movie or a Fox movie that's small was. Like, I don't know what we're talking about. Like, what movie doesn't get made in the future? Logan? Yeah. Logan was going to make money. Like, they're not yeah. going to not make movies that they know are going to make money. That's never going to happen. Well, Logan might not be our. I mean, sure, maybe. I know Disney, but Disney again, has promised that Deadpool will, you know, remain R, which is good. But that's also an existing like expectation because so Deadpool. I mean, was well, it's, again, you can't have it both ways, though. If if you think they might not do something, because why would they? But he's saying it's different because because X Men was always PG PG thirteen, uh-huh. and then they went R. Deadpool was nothing. 
And then it was R. Yeah, but the original argument is they might not do this because they might not make money. Why right. risk it? So, yes. But the, ex- existing already means nothing to that argument. If the, why would they risk Deadpool not making more money? Yeah, I'm just saying some people are, that know more than I do <clears throat> are theorizing it. I don't know all the economics. And yeah, stuff. no, I know. I mean, I'm not really debating it because we'll just not. I mean, we're just, all going to see what happens. Yeah. You know, these movies are going to be seen by all of us. So. Right. DOJ could block it entirely. Yeah, true. Oh, they're not going to. No. <laughs> I saw another little bit of news to change the subject there. George Clooney's developing a Netflix series he's going to produce about the Watergate scandal. Hmm. Cool. It looks pretty fun. He's a good producer. Clooney produces good shit for, especially political shit, because mm-hmm. he'll decide he cares about that a lot. He'll decide he cares about it a lot. I think I still need the movie Syriana explained to me. <laughs> I still need Ocean's 12 explained to me. <laughs> So there's 12 oceans now. <laughs> uh, I do want to jump in because we kind of breezed over it in the lack of breezy last week. Uh, the, the Game Awards happened. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Game of the Year phenomena. Uh, Game of the Year is uh, is uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, Consensus almost? I don't think so, but but from the Game Awards themselves. Oh, um, the Game Awards. Yeah. Are they are they cons- are they pretty I don't know what like you see Game of the Year on a lot of different things. Right. Like, a lot of different games will win Game of the Year. Which which games which Game of the Year awards carry the best weight? Uh best, best it percent. doesn't matter. Yeah. Did you ask it's, that too? He asked me off the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And and it was like a, he asked me and then I put my head in my hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I kind of see that there are a few big pillars of like respected uh, games, journalism, slashing awards, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, you've got IGN and you've got GameSpot and you've got the Game Awards. And they're like your populist, like if you Google video games, it's mm-hmm. going to take you to IGN or GameSpot first. Right. That being said, there is the second branch that is more respected, <laughs> and that's your Kotaku, your Polygon, and your Giant Bomb. Okay. Um, and those are the ones where it's like, you know, Screen Rant versus USA Today for movie reviews. Gotcha. You know, or not Screen Rant, but like Onion AV Club for a TV show. You know, mm-hmm. like the average person doesn't give a shit um, about, you know, the review from the AV Club. Um, but if Giant Bomb says that a game is five out of five, you know, and it's their game of the year, then you know it's worth checking out. That being said, this was a really dense year for big titles that were actually, that actually delivered on promises. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if it's. You know, a huge AAA game from every game of the year consideration. Um, Breath of the Wild will do really well. Um, Super Mario Odyssey will do really well. Um, you know, no no shooter really made a big splash this year. I heard that except for, for Battlegrounds. Yeah, but, I was gonna say PUBG was ineligible for some stuff because it wasn't really like. Yeah, because of when they have to consider stuff, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds is still in early access. It is technically getting its 1.0 release. Well, got it for Xbox this past week and is going mm-hmm. to get it for, for PC December 20th. So Game of the Year deliberations have happened. Yeah, it's it's over. Like after the... It's the problem that the Oscars of- solved by moving into March and nominations out in January mm-hmm. for the entire previous year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what makes the Emmys and the Grammys so confusing. Yeah. Is that, that window... Yeah, because the Grammys... It's, it's not it, just being Grammys is weird because it's by award. Yeah, like the Grammy Award for Best New Artist yeah. is like, and it's like an artist whose like debut album came out two years ago. 
You'll have songs get nominated for song of the year one year and the next year like best pop duo or whatever. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, the same album in multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. But so they still stick in calendar year, but the month of December just gets forgotten. And December is really important for game releases because you've got a lot of late holiday releases. What yeah. holiday? <laughs> Hanukkah. Boxing Day. Boxing Day. <laughs> um, but yeah, but the Game Awards happened. It was pretty predictable. No real surprises. Except for a lot of the announcements that came from it. At, after this podcast, I want all of us to watch the new trailer for the game Death Stranding. I have watched it. It's making mainstream news because of just how like batshit fucking crazy it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> It's the new Hideo Kojima game. The guy who made the Metal Gear Solid franchise. Um, and it's one with Norman Reedus, Benicio Del Toro, Mads Mikkelsen, mm-hmm. like all these big Hollywood names attached to it. And it is just fucking wild. It's so weird. There's already like wild internet theories about what all this stuff means. Yeah. I've shown we just something I've seen a teaser for before, maybe? Yeah, yeah. there's a teaser like, maybe. There's two. Yeah. 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 Okay. Laying on like a gray dark beach. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there was the one the first one was Norman Reedus completely naked, yeah, laying on a beach. And then he looks up into the sky and there's these dark figures. There's the second one where it's Benicio del Toro carrying a thing in a jar right. like into a like sewer. And then Mads Mikkelsen is there, and then he turns into smoke, and then takes a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this one is just like it's it's crazier. I do wonder how you're going to even play these games. Like these just seem like you don't. Yeah, I mean, just hold a controller. It's just a bunch of quick time events. Yeah. It's just it looks like it's just conveying tone so far. Yeah, and atmosphere. Like the same thing with like huge Metal Gear Solid releases. I mean, they're, that was Hideo Kojima, and you would get the videos before would just be like snake aging and smoking a cigarette and then like looking at a tombstone. It's like, well, you don't, well, you kind of play some of that yeah. in the games, but like, it's all just about like the the mood yeah. for the, his early stuff. And now he's like, before he had a studio and expectations and a budget, and now he's just like untethered. Yeah. <laughs> making the weirdest shit of his subconscious. Yeah. I'm interested. Yeah. Any more, any more breezies? <laughs> we got uh, SAG and Golden Globes came out. You know, oh, yeah. Kind of wrote about it and, and talked about it, but uh, it's the last great. week until January that we're probably going to get awardsy stuff. Yeah, the, the post gets uh, completely left out of the SAGs. Yeah, same with Phantom Thread. You know, D.D. Louie. Yeah. Nowhere to be seen. I mean, a lot of SAG members probably haven't seen one of those movies yet. Yeah. And that's probably why uh, that, that it's a lot easier to convince sad. 90 Asian movie critics to watch the post via screener than it is to convince you know 15,000 actors that you've never heard of to watch it. Yeah, someone so, told me how... Um, did you say Asian? Yeah. Okay. Hollywood Foreign Press. Okay. So it's like... So the thing with Hollywood Foreign Press is it's the same people every year. What SAG does is it's like a group of 2,500 out of like the... 16,000 yeah. that are in the guild and that they vote on it. So it's not even the same people voting every year. Right. But it's the, the biggest body of any awards thing to date. Yeah. Biggest group of people. And it so is. That's why screeners are apparently really important for Screen Actors Guild and late releasing stuff. Yeah. Especially things tightly under wraps kind of get underrepresented. Yeah. Like two years ago. The Revenant got, like, I think zero nominations from SAG. Yeah. But it was obviously a major awards player, but it just came out, like, you know, a week before the year end. Yeah, I don't think it tells us anything about The Post or Phantom Thread. Um, I think it tells us more about 
some roles in like like Army Hammer, Stolborg Baby, and Call Me By Your Name. A movie that gets nominations in some places, but others it gets left out. Because mm-hmm. um, you know that enough people saw it to nominate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe Army Hammer is a little, you know, vulnerable. Yeah. If I had my, my perfect scenario for an award show with with my criteria, I would eliminate the limited release thing. Because I would love for the whole, like, race to get a movie out in the month of December in one theater in Los Angeles mm-hmm. to fucking stop. Yeah. Um, you know, that that this is a conversation we have to have. That, like, well, nobody's seen the post. It's like, it's intentional that the movie releases where it does, when it does, what time of year. Yeah, it's, it's getting a little less that, though. I mean, there's still an Oscar season to come out, but I mean, I think most of the movies that are going to get nominated for Best Picture have already dropped. Yeah. It is a little frustrating sometimes where you got like a movie's got a nomination and it's like not out until February. Yeah. Or sometimes after like the Oscars, especially foreign language, a lot of the times the movie doesn't even come out that year. Yeah, foreign like, language is weird. But I mean, most of the time, you can go see everything before it's December 25th. Yeah. And also foreign languages is, is specifically a category for people who aren't like Americans. Like that's, it's a recognition of a country's best work. Sorry, I thought of a breezy that, that we do need to talk about because it's going to impact our podcast. IMDb has done away with user scores. They're no longer going to include in their calculations for score users. Hmm. IMDb? IMDb. I thought I just saw it. What's left there? Critics? They, they, they are going to do away with it. Yes. Okay. Uh, There's going to be some, some way that they tabulate critical score. Hmm. But now user-generated scores are going to go the way of their forums and they're going to disappear. I don't hate quietly. it. Quietly. Because... I had noticed a lot of their... They had superficially high ratings from certain foreign countries, I think, from users, mm-hmm. who were, like, really propping up Stacking a lot the of... the ballot box. Yeah. Um, and you also get, like, uh, group campaigns, like, for, like, DC people, Marvel mm-hmm. people, Star Wars people, like, these blocks. Like, Jennifer Lawrence people is, like, a huge online thing that just, like... Christopher Nolan on yeah. IMDb. It is... That might be the reason. They're probably embarrassed that every Christopher Nolan movie ranks in their top 50 movies of all time yeah. mm-hmm. on IMDb. Which, his movies are good. Yeah. But it is it is silly and embarrassing to think of like nine movies by the one director in the top 50 or whatever it is. At the I, same time, I kind of, I kind of, it's needed though. Because yeah. the IMDb score is the balance of Metacritic is <clears throat> critical consensus. People who watch every single movie, movie and are not looking at it Strictly from an entertainment basis. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is a straight up and down aggregated. And, like, what what is the democratized review score now? True. And also, like, the Rotten Tomatoes uh, user reviews are just a cesspool, too. Oh, so, yeah. Um, is it gonna, is, are we going to see, like, Letterboxd, like, like, rise up and be the new... That's the one I go to for the best gauge of, like, how do do fans, but smart fans, feel about... About movies. Between three stars and four and a half. <laughs> yeah. IMDb not having the, the popular vote in its star ranking is is incoming. Yeah, and that is a little disappointing just because you... Well, I don't know. I just wish there were a better way to do it. It's the one I look at the least. It it's, is. It's, yeah. the, it's the one I look at, at the least, but I still look at it. But it, it's... Oh, <clears> I rarely do. It's on the site. Among like broad user reviews, it's the one I look at the most. 
Yeah. On it's the site that is the standard bearer for looking up movies. So it's the score you look up the least, but it's the site you use the most. So it's the best case for the populist take on the movie. Versus people on Letterboxd or something, they're already like you're already a film nerd if you want to have a diary of all the films you've watched. <coughs> are they going to move to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, those are the people I care about more. Hmm. Are, yes, I care about more. Sure, but uh, are, do you know if they're going to move to a different system or? I'm not sure. Because I'm, I'm kind of headline grabbing here. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to do what Netflix did and just move to like a thumbs up, thumbs down. That thing is so such horseshit. It is horseshit. That's awful. Like especially because they subvert the whole thumb up, thumb down thing by just putting anything that's new at the front. Yeah. Like, don't fucking tell me if it's new. Tell me if people think it's good or not. I think they kind of did that because they have so many original movies and most of them are thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's why they got away from the star ranking mm-hmm. because they were tired of, of brokering deals with studios and getting a, you know, a chunk of movies that they're like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll have them if that means we can get Civil War, but no one's going to watch them because they're all going to be ranked like one and two stars. Yeah, and our system prioritizes good movies. Anyway, sorry to break into no, uh, no, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, <clears throat> especially if it's a site that's so important to you know researching and writing that we do here. It is interesting inner inner workings. So that does it for breezy. Next thing we're gonna do is it's coming out this weekend. What you gonna watch? Ooh, there's a new tab on Just Watch for price drops. Neat. Really, I like doing that. Amazon has like it's fifteen ninety nine to buy it originally, yeah. and then it has like the five ninety nine or I think it goes to two ninety nine to rent. That's my sweet spot. What you got is ooh, this is an exciting week. The Greatest Showman, Jumanji, sequel, downsizing, Pitch Perfect three. Uh, you get a, a limited release of a few too, but that's those are the big the big ones. Limited releases of all the money in the world in the post. And of father figures. Go find one of those. Go find the post if you can. I think it's funny that it's just. That, just I, I think I was going to say downsizing. I'm really excited about I'm downsizing. I'm kind of interested. It was like uh, really high, then people didn't like it, and now I think it's back up. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting concept. Like yeah. we say, like we'll we'll go out for a movie that's not that. Uh, you know, we'll watch a movie. It's not maybe that great, but we love concepts that are yeah. intriguing. That's that's the key for me is. I would probably pick... I don't even know really what downsizing is, but I would probably pick it over some of the others I heard there. I'm going to say Jumanji. I'm excited about all those films. Jumanji's getting good reviews. Jumanji's getting good reviews. (laughs) Jumanji's going to settle somewhere in like 83, 84 on Rotten Tomatoes. Plus, you're talking straight up like the charisma factory of The Rock, Kevin Hart, Jack Black... Let's, let's, let's close up shop here. Yeah, though. let's please do that. Yep. So this was Talkie Talk, podcast for the media by us. Please visit the site and see our stuff. Connect with us on Twitter, Gmail, and Facebook. We got both groups and a page. But we'd love to hear from you for any podcast podcast. Yeah. And uh, things to do while you're there is subscribe to us, uh, give us a rating, and uh, read articles. Read articles. Yeah, we got a bunch of stuff on there. I want to say thanks to Willow Walkers for providing the intro music. Thanks. And well, thanks to good. Boo Rifa for providing the outro music. Boo Rifa! Boo Rifa was only 16. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys, for being here and talking at the thing. Goodbye. Bye bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. 
Kicking out records of all the things that I know All the things that I know 